Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the day after Sunday. Good morning. Good morning, friends. We say this every week. We'll have an intro again one day. One day. I mean, or not. <laughs> or not. Or we won't. Uh, anyway, we wrapped up our series, uh, Encountering the Risen Christ, this past Sunday, yesterday. And uh, Mitchell, you mentioned it after we finished worship yesterday, but this was just a really great series. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think there's always there's always a a bit of uh, pep in the step post Easter, and I find all the post Easter uh, series to be enjoyable. But yeah, I really enjoyed being in the Gospel of John for three weeks, and and John's such a good writer, and the author of John is, and the stories are are emotional and and real and. I don't know. Yeah, I just I really appreciated it for the past three weeks. I think we've done a, a good job of kind of capturing uh, what the author is trying to say and also what it means for us, uh, you know, right now. Yeah. And we always say this, but if you have not gotten a chance to catch up with what we're talking about, um, we always have our worship services available on YouTube and Facebook. Um, and also, if you're watching with us right now, I see we have a few viewers. Um, just say hi in the comments. Tell us where you're at. Tell us what you're up to this Monday morning. Um, and we would love to see you. So yesterday, we talked about uh, fish. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We just talked about fish. You know, it really... I understand that that there are folks who really enjoy fish for breakfast, and I and I know that it's probably as much cultural, but I just cannot get down with having fish for breakfast. I just it sounds awful. How was it for you, you to uh, to uh, smell the fish cooking during your whole sermon at eight <laughs> thirty? Yeah, I, there are other things I'd like to smell, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if you were not there at 8.30 yesterday morning or did not tune in at 10.50, um, <laughs> thank you, Dexter, Linton Landscape. Um, at Bible study on Wednesday, Mitchell professed that fish for breakfast could quite possibly be the worst breakfast and just kept going on about it. And so I joking, I think I jokingly said, I'm going to make you have fish for breakfast or something. And so I did. So I went and bought a whole stuffed fish, eyeballs and everything. And borrowed a charcoal grill from Neil. Was it Brazilian sea bass or something? What was it? Brazino? Is that what it's called? So I don't know. I even took a picture of it because I keep forgetting what it's called. But uh, it, yeah, stuff with like lemons and capers and. It smelled so amazing. I, I mean, it really, it really did. did. It, it was actually, just a little early <laughs> to smell that. <laughs> yeah, nine fifteen fish. It, it, wasn't, it, it, it wasn't that it was a repulsive, like <laughs> pungent smell. It just was not. Uh, a smell that I I particularly enjoy while also trying to focus on my sermon, <laughs> and and I just don't I just think there are better breakfast foods than a whole fish. What's a, what's your okay? So if you could rewrite the story using your holy imagination, what would you have Jesus serve for breakfast? <laughs> oh man, it's got to be like comfort food, right? So it's got to be like biscuits and gravy or something. It's really hard right? to do on the shoreline, but yeah. Uh, this is this is the risen Christ we're talking about, though, right? I mean, open totally. fire. Totally, he, ju he just yeah. he's just walked through some walls. I mean, I mean, there is like a little My bit of uh, extra. Jesus is kind of pulling out. He just rose from the dead. 
So I, I think it is within the realm of possibility that Jesus could like make some biscuits from scratch and water like, to wine, fish and bread yeah. to biscuits and gravy. Come on. It's just yep. like the natural follow up. I right, feel like totally. Lindsay is on board with you, Mitchell. She yeah. just said fish for breakfast. Whoa. So mm -hmm. um, I wonder if there's certain fish that pairs better than I mean, people do salmon, right? People do lox and stuff. That's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Sure. But right, anyway, we talked a lot about just, fish. So yes, we talked about Jesus's encounter with the disciples while they're out there fishing on the Sea of Galilee. In John 21. In John 21, having the worst worst go of it right i mean they can't catch anything jesus yeah. mocks them from the shoreline <laughs> asking I really, them which yeah he clearly knows they haven't right hey, how's fishing going? i was just gonna say like mitchell when you were preaching that um and you said jesus is like hey hey try the other side all i thought about especially given the last year that we have just been immersed in technology of like have you tried unplugging it and plugging it back in like that's that's right. what i feel like jesus was saying to his disciples and like, it works yeah right every time it does just unplug it and plug it back in jesus just throw is your the net on squad. the other side yeah jesus jesus is the fishing geek squad um he's like i can't believe they just haven't tried the other side of the boat yet you know, <laughs> and then of course it works, and there's a, a a lot of fish in the net. And Peter, well, not specific, not just a lot. Like specifically, there are 153 in the net, which I I always I agree with you. Like I always thought it was oddly specific. Yeah, it is very oddly specific. Phil, do you want to walk us through some of these uh, theories on why 153? Hold on, I do. His dog is being loud. Hold, there please. We go. Yeah, so what, <laughs> one, well, there's a lot of theories, but yeah, 153 is alleged that zoologists at the time believed that was the amount of known fish species in the world. So you have this idea that if there's 153 fish, that represents the, the fullness of creation, basically, that yeah. now they're, they're fishing for mint. Yep, there's, there's, it's, it's all right. We can still hear you. Dog um, that the ministry is now going out to the fullness of humanity, all of creation, right? It, it reaches far and wide. And the, the cool thing is too, right? Like there's their nets don't break from that. There can be a lot of fear behind the idea of if we go too far and too wide, mm. we won't be able to, to maintain all of it, but like their nets hold up, which is a really yep. big, a really big part of it too. The other thing is if you take one through 17, all the numbers of one through 17 and add them all together, then it, then it gets you 153. And so there's yeah. this really interesting triangle in often referred to as quasi-mystic understanding of Pelagianism. I didn't understand Not how Pelagian, Pythagorean, Pythagoreanism. Right. Pythi Pyth right. Yeah. Pythag like Pythagorean theory and the whole mentality. Yeah. Oh, once again, yeah. we come up Fabulous. against this. If you want more information on this very abstract topic, just email Phil. <laughs> really what it comes down to is 153 is weirdly specific, but also like has a deeper Meaningful. meaning. Yeah. Like everything in John, right? Like it's not thrown in there just randomly. There's always yeah. some sort of semblance of, I, I use the example in Bible study Wednesday. It's like saying a baker's dozen. Like we all know that means 13. Will people 2000 years from now be like, why did they have this weird dozen? And then baker's dozen, what was the point of 13, you know, like having two mm -hmm. dozens or whatever? Well, sure. 153 might've had the same connotation at the time. Yeah. I love it. And then you could do, I mean, you could like take a little rabbit trail and, draw comparisons and contrastisons 
Um, <laughs> you can compare and contrast the story go. of the when Jesus says in I don't remember where this is, but uh, when he says like, "Hey, you know, throw your nets over," and they they got so many fish that their their boats began to sink, right? And they were like, "Go away from me, Lord! You're holy, and I'm not." And so this kind of bookending like fish experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe it's is that in John as well, or is that in a different gospel? I don't remember. I think it's in Luke. Okay. But like that would be interesting to talk about, you know, the the theological implications of each of those things. Mm-hmm. Like what what was it symbolizing that their nets were breaking and they couldn't hold all that Jesus had to offer? And then was it symbolizing that after Jesus rose, like their nets did not break, they right. were able to hold it. So Yeah. Mm. There's a there's I a whole like this. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 Phil. There's a whole Keep like understanding of like almost like a ministry of tending nets because one of the biggest thing you had to do as a fisher yeah. person at the time usually fishermen was was tend your nets and obviously if you had faulty nets then you didn't catch your fish and so when when people kind of give the fishermen a hard time back in the day of being like kind of dumb like oh just dumb fishermen i don't people i don't think people really say it that way but like there's kind of this mentality of like jesus called these people who were really simple well actually fishing was really hard and you had to speak multiple languages and tending nets was a really hard thing to do and to do it right and correctly. And so there's, mm-hmm. there's and a, a really doing it right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's a reason they're fishing at night, right? Like it's not an easy, easy thing to do. It's, it's not like a nine to five kind of thing. Yeah. That's and you, you're right. I mean, think about it. You have to then, it's not like there's just like someone else out there processing the fish. So they have to like process the fish and then they have to move the fish mm-hmm. incredibly quickly. Right. It's, it's not, it's not a, yeah, it's not yeah. like we think of fishing. Right. Um, although who was it the hooks who, who told us to watch that Netflix doc about, uh, oh, yeah, the, oh, yes. Why they got to ruin it? I'm just kidding. I love about documentaries. It's okay. If they ruin it for me, I, I'm, you know there's a, a netflix documentary about like the sea and how the the fishing industry and I, I think it's more than just fishing i think it's but it's um it's not good did you ever like did you watch for everyone fork over knives that documentary a while back yeah like, i did i watched yeah, it and went, went vegan for i don't know i think 12 hours until i accidentally ate cheese and then it was all over but <laughs> okay good good story sea spiracy that's what it's called thanks Dexter. i mean I, you know I, I think it's Im- I think it's important though. I mean, I haven't seen this documentary. Uh, I I do think we, as we come off of Earth Week, right, and we're still in Earth Month, totally. um, that we do need to be aware of that. I also do have a ton of respect and understanding for fisher people in present day who are very ethical and they love what they yeah. do and they catch like they line catch and they are very sustainable and they go to restaurants that are like literally down the street from them, yeah. and so. I think that kind of fishing gets more at what the disciples were doing, right? They were totally. fishing to feed their community. And and I just was really struck by this notion, Mitchell, you know, that we it like we talked about last week, it's a hard balance to strike if we're talking about we do need a personal relationship with Jesus, but we also need that community. We need that community to fish for and with us to provide mm-hmm. us with sustenance, and we need that community to recognize Jesus for us when we can't, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a mutual thing, right? We need to we need to develop within ourselves a understanding of our personal spiritual growth, and and we take responsibility for that, um, and we seek out you know divine opportunities to 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 uh, you know deepen our own faith. 
and we can't be great participants in community unless we're caring for our own spirituality and our own spiritual needs and health. And we can't really do that unless we're in community because, um, you know, it's cyclical um, because often we will fail if we are out there on our own. And so the balance that we see in the story is that, you know, it's the beloved disciple who calls out to the boat and, and tells them, hey, this isn't just some shadowy figure on the beach it's jesus and and that invites peter to to have his own not only his own revelation gets dressed and jumps in the water but also um it really is backwards just by the way it is backwards yeah and so we talked about this a little bit in the water we talked about this in bible study you know i think i think what it was was like there's a notion of like having to be um like wanting to be fully respectful and like, you know, modest in front of the holy, uh, you know, that the holiest encounter that that Peter can have. Right. And so there is this idea that like, you know, and and I thought about in the garden, right, when when Adam and Eve are uh, naked and they hide themselves, this idea that like we don't want to be fully exposed to who God is. Um, and so anyway. But, but it's not only just that, Peter putting on his clothes, jumping in the water and swimming up and, and having breakfast with Jesus, but that's actually the impetus for, for Peter to be um, reconciled, right? So without the recognition piece, without them fully recognizing that she's on the beach, then there is no Peter, do you love me um, sequence in the Gospel of John. And well, so, and that's that pairs so well with our first yeah that pairs so well with our first reading in acts too um this this community that is so sacrificially loving each other right like this Mm -hmm. nobody had anything that belonged to them everyone belonged to the beloved community and no one was needy like there was not a needy person among them that's such a powerful like statement and it speaks to exactly that like when we're when we have a scarcity mindset we're going to isolate when we have an abundance mindset, we're going to seek out community and share what we have. Yeah. And I think that, you know, back to, to you know, earlier in the series, I said, you know, one of the ways that we'll know we're having this encounter with Christ is that we will have, um, we'll have a peace about us, right? That's like one of the things we can use to, to judge the authenticity of these encounters. Mm-hmm. Um and I think one of the ways we can judge the authenticity of an encounter with the risen Christ is we shift from scarcity to an abundant way of thinking. I can't imagine any of my own experiences, and I'll use my own personal life as an example, but those like, you know, the, the experiences that I can count on one or two hands, right? Where it's like, whoa, this is, this is holy has never led me to think in terms of scarcity. It has only led me to think in terms of abundance. And so I think that's um, what we see here in, in you know, a, a net full of fish that, that can be contained, right? It's not so much that the disciples can't do anything with it. It is, it provides, God's abundance isn't so overwhelming, it, it crushes us with, with, with grace and love. But it's available to us and it's empowering us to go out and, and do the work. And um, and so, yeah, I think I think there's a lot here in the story that's that's beyond the simplicity of the actual story itself. But I still just love the simplicity of it, because regardless of how you think about it, it's just a really cool encounter that the disciples have this idea that that 
that there's not, they don't have to do any, they really don't have to do anything. Right. I mean, they were out there fishing all night kind of breaking their backs, doing it. And they didn't, it wasn't successful. Jesus says, Hey, do this one thing. They do that one thing. And like in that they're blessed, they have to drag it back to the beach, but food's already being prepared. And like Jesus is ready and invites them to just come have breakfast and they just get to sit and be in the presence of God. That's like, Ooh, and bring their fish that, over right? as well, right? Like take the, yeah. the work, the, the the toil, right? What that which you have toiled to do, bring that as well, and and enter it into the the feast, the co-toiling. So, Sorry. I right. I've been reflecting on this this notion, right, of scarcity, and I appreciated what you said about uh, not shaming us for feeling like we've been in a season of scarcity, because in some ways we actually have. And so I was reflecting on this. Uh, the difference between perceived scarcity and actual scarcity um, mm. and the differences in our actions for those. So the example that comes to mind most readily for me in the pandemic was like toilet paper was a perceived scarce item. And because it was people, not actually scarce, it was not yeah. actually scarce. It was it we ran out because people hoarded literally hundreds of rolls. Um, right. But on the flip side, ventilators were actually scarce because we as a human race were not prepared on multiple continents, right? It's not just the US, it's not just Europe. We were not prepared for the disaster that found us, right? And so the differences there, I think are huge. And to me, these scarcities drive our lives even more importantly than the actual scarcities do, right? Yeah, like I mean, that's when our daily decisions matter the most. Yeah. Um, oh, that's good. I would, you know, it's hard. I think it's really important for us to note that like things may feel less scarce now here in, in Dallas County, but India is running out of oxygen right now. They don't have enough oxygen and the numbers are really bad in India this morning here, yeah. whatever time it is there. Brazil. And so like well. this, yeah, Brazil as well. And um, and so I think this is still a reality. Uh, and so I don't want to I did a poor job, I think, of talking about the current reality. I, I talked more about a, of our lived experience. We're feeling less like we're in that place. But the truth is, you could ask the question, then why weren't there enough ventilators? Right. It, it was the truth that there were not enough ventilators. The question is why? And and. And it probably still goes back to a myth of scarcity at the end of the day that it wasn't cost prohibitive for, for the United States to carry that many or or hospitals to, to order that many or whatever, right? So, like, I still would argue that unless we're doing what we see in Acts, we will be hamstrung or snake bit by the myth of scarcity. You should, you should expound on or you should expound real. on the Acts, what you mean, because in case somebody wasn't there and didn't hear the Acts passage. Well, the Acts passage is essentially the, you know, the earliest part. It's what we read in, in worship. Acts 4, uh, the last portion of that chapter is really an invitation uh, for the early church to see what the benefits are of living in community, right? And, and that is done through being empowered by the Holy Spirit to take all that you have and essentially offer it to the community. And when everyone does that, there is enough there's more than enough because they don't only take care of the community, then they're able to take care of others. They're outside the community too. They're able to fund the ministry and the work of the church. That required a kind of an all in approach. 
and um, and that's been chipped away, obviously. Right. I don't. We don't ask folks to give everything they have to the church, um, but what we see now is, um, you know, a faith that that still or has grown into this understanding of scarcity. In fact, we still do it right now. Even good faithful churches still are are concerned about declining numbers, right? And you get in, you get kind of caught up in the declining numbers, and you get you know focused on that and not focused on the work of the church. Then it's like a self fulfilling prophecy. And then all of a sudden, like we're buying into the myth of scarcity. There's only so many people to go around, or there's only so many like market share for the church or whatever. The truth is, like we can get so hyper focused on scarcity. Rightfully so, because as Rebecca pointed out, there really weren't enough ventilators. But we also, but there was plenty of toilet paper. There wasn't enough beef or chicken, but there was plenty of, you know, squash, right? And so I think like we have to like realize that um, so much of it is driven by our own personal need to to take care of us or, you know, before the community. And when we live in that mindset, we'll always be trapped to this myth of scarcity. Yeah. I just know like when I remember when we were going grocery shopping throughout all of last year, but especially in like last spring, it was, it was, a, it was probably a dozen or two dozen, a baker's dozen, if you will, um, conscious choices of, I, I look, you know, I would look at the shelf and there would be two boxes of cheese. It's left. And I would say like, I, I could take both, but I don't need both. I'll just take one. And like over and over, those conscious choices had to be made when mm-hmm. if I had not been in that headspace of like thinking of my neighbor, I would yeah. have taken like, well, what if they don't have any at all next time? I better get both. So I have a backup, right? Like anyway. And so I also wanted, Phil, maybe you can read Lindsay Adams' comment because I think that yeah. is so, so important and rich talking about the work at Owenwood. Yeah, she said, I thought about the work at Owenwood while you were talking, because even outside the pandemic, that community struggles. And I mean, the reality is it lives in a, it exists in a zip code that's a food desert, right? Like there's not even a grocery store to go to to make decisions in that that zip code. So I don't know if it's the whole zip code. Is it the whole zip code? No. But Just the, of it, yeah. the port, yeah, the, the part of it there. And there, and that's that's not the only food desert in Dallas either, right? Like the fact that the city and the county of Dallas has multiple food deserts is a huge issue, right? Like that's a massive problem. And and we as the church definitely should have a response to that. And so what was the, I don't, I, I wasn't here when the decision was made, but like all of a sudden now you have a, um, a, a farm there that's producing food in the middle of a food desert. Like that's a really, I as an outsider, because again, I wasn't here when the decision was made, can look at it and say, that's a very like faithful response in the midst of uh, a space where many people do live in, in reality, a real scarcity, you know, a reality of scarcity. And it's, you yeah. know, it's uh, diapers, et cetera. It's the work totally. that they do like with diapers and feminine products. It's yeah. also, you know, probably less so now, but the, fr- the little free library that was in front of it, like mm-hmm. Becky would stock that thing full of children's books dozens a week and they would be gone because the kids walking home from school from Connor would take a book and like, what, what does it mean to have a scarcity of literature, right? Like a scarcity of good stories yeah. and of powerful and beautiful like illustrations, right? And so yeah. anything that we can do. Well, um, and the People's Fridge is a perfect example too, because it's yep. basically saying like, if you have something, come share it. And then whenever somebody's in need, they can come take it, you know? And 
you may take today and you may give tomorrow and like like you have an extra gallon of milk great go put it in the people's fridge so that somebody else who needs milk can have one yeah and i think what's what's so hard to live with is that like this isn't far away from um a place of a tremendous uh amount of wealth and abundance right so like you know, seven five two one eight and seven five two two eight. Um, I live in two one eight now. I lived in two two eight before. Like they overlap in so many ways, but there's still such a non-porous border between the two, mm-hmm. and that creates just this really stark reality that that feeds feeds into this the scarcity issue, right? Because there is a real issue of not having enough food in 228. Mm-hmm. And there's a very real reality of having way too much in 218. Mm-hmm. And just when you put those things right next to each other, I think it is really hard for the church to not respond. Uh, but it remains a daily grind of, of changing not only uh, circumstances are working with the neighborhood to change circumstances in 228, but also changing hearts and minds in 218 to say, hey, like, we have a responsibility here that's beyond like uh, feeling like we have enough. And the yeah. truth is, once we bought into this idea that there's there's only a certain amount to go around, we will never think we have enough because there will always be an opportunity for us to get more. And, um, and, and that's just it really builds on itself and I think really powerful um, ways that, that do harm. And so Owenwood is not, is, is a, is a bridge to a, to an abundant life that that's, mm-hmm. that's the hope, but not only for folks in 228, but m- maybe even more importantly for folks in 218. We're getting close on time, but I, I think this leads perfectly into part of your prayer, Phil, where you, prayed on our behalf to keep our hearts and minds ajar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think this notion of like being porous with our borders, with our uh, who's in and who's out, and also just like where Jesus might show up needs to be, our hearts and minds need to be ajar. I don't know. Did did you write that prayer or did you so get it from I, I adapted it from Reverend Dr. Tanya Lynn Bennett from Drew Theological. Um, and hers was was shorter, but I took some of the lines and then kind of filled in some things in between there basically and kind of just took an outline of what she'd written. Um, but that was one of the lines that really stood out to me when I found this prayer was keep our minds true and our hearts or keep our words true and our hearts and minds ajar. Um, and I thought, what an interesting term, you know, like, right. and so I added before it, right. In our moments of deep faith and great doubt, right? keep our words true and our hearts and minds ajar. Um, you don't often think of like, let's keep our hearts and minds ajar, right? Like, and yet without that, we end up losing curiosity. We end up getting stuck kind of in the status quo. Um, when they are ajar, that's whenever we're, we breed like this, this idea of, of again, curiosity, but also innovation and ability to really like tackle some really big problems in the world, you know, as opposed to just getting complacent. I love that. Can we link to her prayer or, and, or your prayer that you adapted? Maybe. Um, <laughs> it's in a book that I have. So um, I'm happy to share the book at least. And then uh, I have, I can put my prayer up somewhere probably. But yeah, I'll put the book in the chat. 
Awesome. Once I find the title of it. Well, that can the be book, the book is called Divine Echoes: Reconciling Prayer with the Uncontrolling Love of God by Mark Gregory Karras. If anybody is listening and doesn't see it in the chat, or whatever. So, perfect. All right, friends. Also, I'll I'll say as well, um, because we're leading into a new series on like leaning up hey. to Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. Um, we have a new devotional that we're starting today, which is called. Um, 40 Days of the Holy Spirit by Jack Levison. And so uh, we hope that you, Dexter, just put in the chat the link to the group. We hope that you'll join the group on Facebook. And here's the book. Um, if you're viewing right now or if you're looking um, later, it's it's literally called 40 Days of the Holy Spirit. Be careful, though, because on if you go on Amazon and type that in, there's also another one. Um, I forget who the author is, but it's not Jack Levison. Be sure and find the one by Jack Levison because it's a very different author. I'll just put it that way. Um so we hope that you'll come and, and be a part of that where we'll just offer reflections in this devotional space on Facebook in this group and you can read along and it's just short passages kind of each day and then you can just offer your reflections. So come and join us for that too. Awesome. It's going to be great. Yeah. And he's our guest, right? In the Sunday sit down for the, yeah, next... For the next two weeks. Mm -hmm. cool. Dexter just said, send your favorite breakfast fish recipes. You can email them to Mitchell. <laughs> Please do. I will. I, I've got a I've got a special folder in my inbox for all of them. I bet you do. I think I that's called the trash folder. The trash yeah. folder. Junk. Yeah. Spam. All right, friends. Good work. We'll see y'all next week. Take care, everybody.